Hey, I want to tell you, uh, we had Trevor Riddle be baptized by his dad, Todd, in the first service. If you know the Riddle family, you might congratulate them, especially congratulate Trevor as he begins his walk with the Lord. <clears throat> you know, I learned something this week on the news as I was following the coverage of the horrific uh, crash of that Egyptian airliner. Uh, I never knew the Mediterranean Sea at its deepest point was 17,500 feet. That is a lot of water. I could not imagine uh, being swimming in a, ocean, in a sea that big. You know, I, I knew the Pacific Ocean had some really deep places in the Atlantic, but I didn't know that about the Mediterranean Sea. And, and it was fit within with what I was talking about and what I wanted to talk about this week, in that, <clears throat> you know, if you're uh, treading water in, let's say, 10 feet of water in a swimming pool, and, and you know the shallow end's only a few feet away, <clears throat> you tread, but you're not really urgently treading, are you? You're not really... Really into it. You know, you could just go over to that shallow part and stand up. But if you're in a, a body of water uh, where you can't see anything and you're knowing that you're over 17,000 feet of water, there's going to be a lot more urgency uh, to your treading or to your swimming if you're trying to swim. Yeah, that's, I think, what I want to think about today. And, you know, we're going back to Genesis 45. We talked about it last week, and we saw a lot of great messages there, a lot of principles for us. Uh, but I think I want to go deeper today in one section of it today. <clears throat> one of the things I appreciate about Northside is, is that you guys don't uh, press me to dumb down the preaching. Uh, y'all don't press me to just give you a pablum and, you know, platitudes. And uh, I mean, it's easy to draw a crowd, you know. Uh, I would guess and I believe that there are uh, places across our country where the, the depths of Christianity aren't really explored. And what I think happens is when we don't prepare for those difficulties, we don't prepare for those deep waters of life, then often our faith, such as it is, crumbles. And we can grow dis discouraged, we can grow disheartened, we can flounder in our life, in the growth of our faith. So we're going to go deep today and tackle a deep question. How does God bring good out of evil? How does God bring good out of evil in our lives, in the world today? <clears throat> Let's dive deep together. The first thing I want to talk about is free will and evil. Free will and evil. What do I mean by free will? The Bible says, and I think this is absolutely right, that each of us have the capacity to make our own choices. Now, God could have created us kind of as robots. He could have created us that we were going to do, he's going to push a button and we're going to do exactly what he wants to do. You know, kind of like those remote control airplanes, at least when you know how to fly it. He, he, he could do that with us, but no, he loves us, and he creates us in his image. In his image, God is a free will being. God makes his choices. He, he has his thoughts. He has his actions, his words. And so he creates each of us that way. And that we're born, he says, with a plan and a purpose. But he's not going to force us into that plan and purpose he has for our life. We have the free will to choose to make our own choices. 
You know, it's what it's difficult sometimes about raising teenagers is uh, letting them expand and, and make those choices. But God allows us that free will. And what happens then is sometimes we're going to make the choice to do what is not godly or to not do what is godly. The Bible calls that sin. And the consequences of sin is death. That is, uh, the consequence of ungodly choices brings evil into the world. And so not only do we suffer our own consequences when we sin, when we choose an ungodly path, an evil path, but also it brings those consequences to bear on those around us. Now you remember in our story, Joseph was sold into slavery after first his brothers threw him in a, a deep pit and left him for dead. Then they saw some slave traders come by and they said, oh, we're not going to just kill him, we're going to sell him and get some money out of it. 22 years before Genesis 45. And I've talked to you before how the brothers must have had some latent guilt and shame and, and all that, but, but understand this, what they did was evil. Out of envy, out of jealousy, out of malice toward their brother, uh, they tried to kill him and then sold him into slavery. There was their free will. And we see it over and over. Potiphar's wife, she chose out of lust that used her free will uh, to bring evil into Joseph's life. And then the baker and the cupbearer and even Pharaoh himself. I mean, you see that the actions of an individual has an impact on those around them. And so that is with you. So God allows us that free will. God steps back. I think he doesn't completely get out of the picture. Sometimes we think that. We think God is, is remote or distant. We think God's not listening or paying attention. No, God's allowing individuals to exercise their free will. Now, I think God does bring about his restraining grace in a lot of those situations. I also know the scripture tells me that God allows Satan some limited capacity in this world to, to tempt people in their areas of weakness. But what we can see and, and know is that we are not doomed to use our free will to choose evil. And even if others act evilly around us, the overriding message of Joseph is that even though we all have free will, free will and evil often results from the choices we make with our free will, God can work through even those evil actions, even those evil choices. So what I want to share with you today and, and encourage you to do is this. Even in the midst of not seeing the big picture, even if God seems silent, let's listen to the message from this passage in Genesis and some other scriptures about faith's response to evil. The person of faith, their response to evil. Now, faith is just like any other quality. Belief in God is a free will choice, and I think it grows over time, or it takes time to grow. Now, oftentimes when we're little, uh, we have the faith of a child. We, uh, folks around us tell us about God, and we believe in God. But as tough times happen, sometimes that questions our belief. Other people don't believe in God, and they share their opinions, or we see it online, or we hear about it on, uh, in a song or on the radio, and, and that maybe makes our faith kind of shaky. 
But I say this to you, we all have a choice. As evil is around us, as evil is within us, are we going to allow our faith in God to grow? Are we going to allow God's faith, our faith in God to be our foundation? There are four responses to evil I see here in this passage and other scriptures that I want to share with you today. First, troubles grow our faith. You look at those troubles, they're not pleasant to go through, they're painful to go through, uh, but the Bible says in a couple of scriptures I want to give you, and a lot of other places I could give you, I don't have the time, it says that these troubles have a positive effect. These po- troubles have a constructive effect on our faith if we choose to continue to believe, if we choose to draw close to God instead of to turn away from him. In the book of James, chapter 1, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. <clears throat> because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So there's the, 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 what, what is the product of turning toward God in these troubles. Now notice it does not say if trials and troubles happen. Consider if you're enjoying my brothers whenever they're going to happen. Maybe today you're kind of in a, a good spot. I, back to my analogy, you kind of a, you're kind of in the shallow end, you know. You may be swimming, but, but there's not a lot of vigor because after all, if you get tired, you just stand up, right? That's how it is if if we have a faith of the shallow end, I think we're, we're going to swim along. But when that water, the, de- the bottom drops out, when we get in those stormy seas, when we get in those trials and troubles, then we got to swim. Or if we don't, we sink, right? And what he's saying here is if you choose to draw close to God in those troubles, in those trials, then perseverance is going to grow in you. Maturity is going to grow in you. Completeness. That is, becoming more godly, becoming more like Christ. That's going to grow in you, right? And so there's a process of growth that happens in those trials. Those trials actually make us stronger and better. Another analogy. If you want to grow your muscles, if you want to grow your cardiovascular endurance, what do you have to do? You have to train. You have to lift those weights. You have to do those, that stair stepper. Man, I hate that stair stepper, don't y'all? Say no to the stair stepper. That's my motto. I like to walk outside. And this winter, I was even walking outside when it was cold because uh, I knew it was good for me. I knew I needed to grow that. As I get older, I need to grow that cardiovascular endurance. So I say this to you. As much as I need to focus on growing my body, I even more need to focus on growing my spirit. I need to focus more on growing my faith than I do my body, or even my mind. Because faith is what sustains you. Faith becomes a foundation that leads to maturity and completeness. Faith can grow from those troubles if we choose to let it. Our attitude needs to be like Job. Job 121, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. He's had this terrible time of his family being taken from him, his his uh, live, livelihood being taken from him, all of his cattle and livestock. The Lord gave. I didn't deserve it to start with. I, 
He gave it to me and the Lord has taken away. But my conclusion is this, may the name of the Lord be praised. That is deep faith. That's faith that comes from those troubles and trials and enables you to stay above those stormy seas. Like the movie Facing the Giants, you know, the coach would say to them, boys, we need to play as hard as we can play. And when we win, we praise the Lord. But when we lose, we praise the Lord too. That's the kind of depth that all of us need in our faith life. See, the shallow end, it's easy to swim in. But when you get in the deep waters, you got to have that deep faith. Second lesson here is we see good coming from evil. Not only do we see our own personal growth resulting from evil and trouble, but we can see good coming from that evil. That's amazing, really. But I'll tell you, as I've told you, the story of Joseph is ultimately a story about God's sovereignty. Even if we can't see it, God is in control. God is overall. And here we see an emphasis on the providence of God, how God provides and he consistently provides, even if we can't feel it or see it, we can know that God is working in our lives. In our plan and the purpose he has for us, if we are believing in him and seeking him by faith, he's going to work out that plan and purpose. We can see good even from the evil actions of others. Verses five, or 4 through 9 of chapter 45. This is the heart of the message, so listen closely. I want you to do as I, either you read it or you listen to me, I want you to see how many times he mentions the name God. And I want you to see the action verbs of what God is doing as Joseph understands it. Now listen, with all the bad things that happened to Joseph, he could have been bitter, he could have been resentful, especially toward his brothers. But you don't hear that at all. Now to give you the background, uh, Joseph's been interacting with his brothers. They were in desperate need of food, so they came down to Egypt, the only place that had food. Because God had given Joseph this great dream and the interpretation, the people of Egypt had food because they had, they had saved back from when times were good. And so the brothers have been interacting with the prime minister of Egypt. That's all they know him as. They don't recognize him as their brother Joseph. They've been interacting with him, and, and so now uh, they're finally at the point we're finally at the point in the, in the story where uh, the, Joseph reveals himself. He says, I am your long-lost brother. And that's how he began verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. His ten brothers. Now, I, as I said last week, I'm sure there was kind of like a battle not to be first in this line, right? Uh, you're going to, I'm Joseph, your brother, and they think like the first one's going to, you know, get the, the brunt of the anger. But no, that's not what he says at all. He's not resentful at all. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, he's not bitter or resentful. Listen to what he says. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you. To preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father of Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. 
God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. Notice he's never the source of the action, is Joseph, right? He has these amazing responses. He has amazing character, but it's all because he sees his life as a servant of God. He sees his life as directed and led by God. And so he sees even the bad things that happen around him for the good they have brought. You know, I've known families where bankruptcy actually was a crucial turning point in their faith and them growing together as a family. I've known marriages where unfaithfulness was a crucial turning point of them growing closer together and having a much better marriage. I've seen this happen. I see it here in Joseph. As you think about your life and as your life unfolds, you're going to have some bad things happen. Some evil stuff's going to come your way. And I say this to you. You have a choice to see God working in it and through it, to respond by faith and not turn away from God, to draw close to him instead of away from him. We can see good come from evil. Joseph tells us that. So the third principle is this. We can forgive when we see the big picture. It makes, us, it makes it easier to forgive. It's never easy to forgive, but it makes it easier when we see God providentially, sovereignly working in all these things around us. It makes it where we understand that those people who chose to do evil, they often didn't know what they were doing. They often didn't have a conception of the consequences of the ramifications. Uh, see, I, I think people respond to that, that short term, that flesh interest, as the Bible says it, and we don't always think about the consequences. We just want that right now. What Jesus said on the cross still amazes me to this day. Luke chapter 23, verse 33, uh, 34. Uh, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. You know, when somebody does something that hurts me or bothers me, I often think about that. Did they really know what they were doing? Uh, I don't think so oftentimes. But even if they did, I know that God can, in his sovereignty, he can use it for my good. And so it makes it easier for me to be able to forgive them. Remember what forgiveness is? It's putting it in the past, remembering it no more. Doesn't always lead to reconciliation, doesn't always lead to a close relationship, but often it can, but it is a choice that we make to let go of what somebody's done to us. And we can do that, I think, better if we see that God is working out this big jigsaw puzzle in our life. Y'all like to do puzzles? You get a, one of those thousand piece or over pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, you start out with that thing, you dump it out of the box, it is a mess, isn't it? It just like, especially if you're a type A person that likes to get things done, you're like, you, you start getting all shaky, right? Because it's, how am I going to do this? Well, you start by assembling the border, figuring out the pieces that fit together, and then uh, gradually you start fitting in the pieces in the interior, and over time it becomes a beautiful picture. It all fits together. Our life is like that, right? Yeah, I really think you look back at life and you see, by hindsight, the work of God, if you're choosing to walk by faith and not by sight. And it makes it easier to forgive. 
The fourth principle I want to give you, now, when you email or text to somebody, it is not polite to do what? To put it in all caps, right? That means, for inf- that means you're shouting. Well, I'm going to shout at you because I think I need to emphasize it. The fourth principle is this. We know that God is at work. If you can understand that, if you can know, capital K, capital N, capital O, capital W, if you can know that God is work, it gives you a much greater sense of peace, a much greater sense of satisfaction, a much greater sense that God is working out that plan and that purpose in your life, even if you can't always see it. I talk about this verse a lot. Uh, This story of Joseph is a living illustration of this verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works, not all good things. We, you might put in there, we know in both good and evil things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is, if you love God, if you believe in God no matter what, if you're seeking for God to give you your direction and your guidance, you're seeking to live out God's will in your life, then he's going to work both the bad and the good, together for your good. We know that God is at work. So I have two questions for you. Now, you can answer these questions out loud. Uh, You don't have to. Uh, You can talk about them with someone close to you. I think that would be helpful, but my main concern is you internally wrestle with these questions. First, how much... Do you trust God? I mean, really. How much do you trust God? Faith and trust go together. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I referred to this verse. I didn't do it by direct reference. But it is a powerful verse. And it's kind of saying, do you walk by faith or do you walk by sight? For we live by faith and not by sight. Sight, what you can see. Sight is our world of three dimensions. Well, for the Christian, I think we need to be very cognizant of the fourth dimension. If God is working and active, if he's sovereign and in control, if he's working together all things for the good of us who love him and call according to his purpose, then we need to understand in a dimension that we cannot see, God can be trusted. God, we can have faith in him, and we can walk by faith and not by sight. Well, the second question is related. How satisfied are you with God? How satisfied? Now, I'm not saying how complacent are you with God. I think those are two different concepts altogether. You know, I'm never complacent that we've got more work to do here at Northside. We've got more people to reach with the gospel. We have more ministry to do to those who are hurting. But I am satisfied if I and our church, if we seek to please God with every day that he gives us, if we seek to please God, then he, he can be trusted. We can be satisfied. We can be confident knowing that God is going to work out his great plan and purpose in our lives. If we walk by faith and not by sight. Are you a faith walker? Are you a sight walker? You know, we came here a little over 10 years ago. And um, it was a big move for us. We had always lived in Georgia, Tennessee, close to our families. And we, we just felt convicted that God was calling us here. Uh, we, we didn't even know where Warrensburg, Missouri was when we first heard from you guys. And 
Uh, and so we came here, four, six of us all together. We have four kids. One of our sons in particular, Joshua, uh, has special needs, uh, some development disabilities. And, you know, we were concerned about him, but we found Children's Mercy Hospital, and they've helped us. The, the special education folks here were awesome. But we were worried uh, the last couple years about what would Josh do when he got out of high school. You know, would one of us have to quit work? Would, what, what would we do? Let's <laughs> show you how, how cool, how amazing God's plan is. You cannot even have an inkling of. In our church is a Johnson County Commissioner. His name is Bill Gable. About three years ago, the executive director, the new executive director was named at Johnson County Board of Services. His name's Scott Holmberg, also another member of our church. We have several people now that work at Johnson County Board of Services. And I was made, uh, it was a political appointment, appointed by the commissioners three years ago to be a director of the Board of Services in the Shelter Workshop. And this January, I was made the president of the Board of Directors of the Board of Services. <laughs> Do you think that's an accident? How God is using us Christians to positively impact the lives of developmentally disabled folks in our community and their families. How we, our goal is clear at the Board of Services. It is to be the best agency serving our individuals and families with developmental disabilities in all of the country. God brought that about. I never could imagine that when we moved here. But that's what he does. You today might be disheartened. You might be discouraged. But I say this to you, don't, don't give up. Understand, even when others have hurt you, even when evil has brought its pain into your life, understand this. You draw close to God, you believe in God, you love God and walk by faith. And He, He will encourage you. He will strengthen you. He will enable you to swim through whatever comes your way. He can be trusted. He is still on the throne. Understand this, we will not be defeated, we who believe. Fathers, we think about these things today. I'm sure the message hits home. Maybe it's because we've done evil to others. But I'm encouraged that even our mistakes, you still can work with and help others around us. Help us confess and repent. Help us make restitution where we can. But for others of us who have troubles that have been caused by the free will of others, for others of us, Lord, today, we need, we need to come close to you. Help us not to be standoffish. Help us not to be proud. Help us to not be shallow. Help us to grow our faith. Help us to believe in you, to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.